Last week, we started studying the purity of the church in Ephesians chapter five. If you wanna go ahead and get your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter five, that's where we'll be. And you remember that we saw it was important for us to live as a church that was called out. That's a very important thing. Holy means set apart and called out is very important as the church of Jesus Christ for us to live that way. And as you think about that this morning, what I really want to kind of hammer home is that we talked about last week three practices to avoid. Do you remember that? We said that we should avoid sexual immorality and impurity and greed. And then we talked about making sure that there were three things in our lives that we didn't talk about, subjects to avoid, right? We said that we wanted to make sure that we weren't coarse jesting, obscene talk, foolish talk, those kinds of things. And that the remedy to that really was thanksgiving in our lives because when you're thankful, it just keeps you from kind of running down that path. And so as we go into this passage of scripture this week, we're taking it a step further that gives us a little bit of clarification on the matter and it talks about walking in the light. And I think that's an important thing for us this morning to recognize. And we'll read that in verse six now of Ephesians chapter five. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments for God's wrath is coming on the, on the disobedient. Because of these things, therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. When Paul begins writing to this church, he gives them another therefore. We've, I mean, we have just been in these over and over again. So he's obviously tying it right back to the last passage that we looked at. And when he says, therefore, let no one deceive you with empty arguments for God's wrath is coming against the disobedience because of these things. Therefore, don't become their partners. He's tying it all back together. And when he says, let no one deceive you with empty arguments for God's wrath is coming. The first thing that popped in my mind this week is just how easy it is to be deceived. I mean, have you ever been tricked? Have you ever been deceived? Have you ever thought something was a, a sure thing only to find out that it wasn't? You know, it just doesn't take much to deceive you. In fact, what we would say is that every good magician or illusionist, what they're really good at is the art of deception, right? I remember a number of years ago, we were on vacation and staying in a, uh, with my in-laws and it happened to be a real rainy day where we were at. There's just kind of nothing to do and I had to run out and get something and I saw a little sign that said, magic shop. And I thought, well, that looks interesting. Maybe I'll go grab the family and we'll take a little excursion to come back to the magic shop. And I'll never forget, we walked in and it was a U-Haul shop where you could rent, you know, U-Hauls. They had boxes and there was this guy standing there and I said, uh, magic shop? And he was like, yes, yeah, step over here. And he went behind the other counter, you know? And I was like, oh, I can rent a truck and learn how to do magic today. This is a win for everybody, Right. And, and, and I said, you know, is there anything that you might show us today from the magic shop? And he said, absolutely. And he started doing these little tricks. And every time he would say, before we do this, I need you to say the magic words with me or it just doesn't work. Hold out your hands and I want everybody to say, dooney, dooney, dooney. And every time we said, dooney, 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 my mind was blown, blown. Now it wasn't because it was magic, it was because it was deception, right? It was sleight of hand and he was really good. It was fascinating, a lot of fun to see that. But it's very easy for us to be deceived. And as Paul writes this church in Ephesus, remember where they're at. 
They're surrounded on all sides by people who are worshiping a false god of fertility named Diana or Artemis, if you want to look at it that way. And so he's saying to them, don't be deceived by those people because they're constantly telling you, you can do whatever you want. He's also dealing with a philosophical thing that was going on during the day where people were saying things like this. You know, you can really separate the things you do in your body from the soul. They're two different things. So it doesn't really matter how you live in the body. It's all about your soul and nothing could be further from the truth. He's saying, don't be deceived by these things. And I see that for us because it occurs to me that it's, it's not like uh, maybe Satan comes and gets us to abandon the faith. What he gets you to do is to be accepting of other things to add to the faith that actually pull you away from the faith. You know, God doesn't care if you do this or you sprinkle a little bit of this. It'll be fine. It's a deception meant to be added to your life. Notice what he says. You need to make sure that you're not deceived with empty arguments. In the Old Testament, that word empty would have been used, uh, oftentimes it would say uh, vain, empty arguments, vain arguments. They don't hold any weight. There's nothing to them. When people start to make them, they have no basis for them. And so as he looks at this, he says, you need to make sure that you're avoiding these things because God's wrath and judgment is coming on this and God's wrath towards the disobedient. And, and maybe your Bible says it like this, the sons of disobedience. In other words, people who are practicing disobedience all the time, living like the father of lies is what he's saying. He says, you don't need to be doing that because God's wrath is coming. Now, one thing that, that we see in the American church all the time is this kind of capitulation to the culture where God's love is absolutely emphasized and we're told God is not a God of wrath. Have you read the Bible? You can't possibly know God's love if you don't know his wrath. It's impossible to know it because God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were under judgment, while we were under God's wrath, Christ died for the ungodly. Now I want you to think about that statement for just a second. When Romans tells us that Christ died for the ungodly, very clear, Christ didn't die for anyone who was godly because there was no one. You're not godly, I wasn't godly. God didn't look down and say, oh man, there's some godly people right here, you should go die for them, they're, they're good folks. It's not how it worked. Christ died for those of us like me, like you, who had rejected him and turned our backs on him and we were under God's wrath, under his judgment. And as Romans 2, I think it's verse 5 says, God was storing up his wrath for the day of judgment. And Christ died for us. And in that moment, God placed the wrath that should have been ours on Christ. That's the demonstration of his love. Well, this church is being confronted with those kind of things as well. And so he's telling them, don't do this. Don't be deceived by empty arguments for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. What things? Look back at verse three. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed should not be heard among you. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking. They're not suitable, he says in verse four. So, so he's saying there, you remember as we defined these things, sexual immorality, right? Anything outside of a man and woman who are married, that's immorality. If they're not in covenant relationship between God the Father and themselves, that's immorality. It's, it's the simplest definition I can give you. Any impurity, any activity like that that's outside of marriage, it's wrong. He says, greed. He says, these things are not to be who you are. Don't be deceived by somebody that says, oh, you can totally do that. It's fine. It's totally fine. God loves you. It's totally fine. 
Don't worry about it. We're going to come to that in just a minute. I want you to see that. We can't separate the thing. And the Ephesian church was dealing with that just like we're dealing with it. As we look at this, you see that they're empty arguments. Have you ever noticed that when people make these arguments, they don't point them back to God from the scripture? Because you can't. There's nothing to it. They're empty. They don't carry any weight. They will not hold water. So the challenge for us is to keep from being deceived. And the way for us to to be up to the challenge is to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ and to know the word of God. We're gonna come to that in just a minute, but that's how we do that. You stay close to Jesus and stay close to the word and it helps you to understand the deceptions of the world. It's the way that we do that. Furthermore, he says, not just don't be deceived, but he says, don't join them. Look at what he says in the next verse. Therefore, don't become their partners. Partners. When he says partners, the word that he's using there is, it's like a a, a participant, he says, with them. Have you ever heard somebody say that the only ship that won't float is a partnership, right? Maybe you've heard that in business or something like that. When we talk about partnership, he's saying that you're walking with someone. Later in the New Testament, Paul's gonna talk about what it means uh, when people are living uh, unequally yoked. When he talks about that, he says, you shouldn't be married, you shouldn't be in partnership, unequally yoked. What does he mean? He says, what does darkness have to do with light? Nothing. So what what he's saying is if you put a yoke of oxen, what does that mean? A yoke is something you place on an animal so they can pull something. So if you have a yoke of oxen, it's two oxen pulling together. And what you don't do is take an ox and a donkey and say pull together because they don't. It's, It's cattywampus. It doesn't work. You don't take a larger, stronger ox and put it with it. It doesn't work that way. You want them together so they're pulling together in the same direction. And so when he says this to us, he's saying don't partner with people who are lost. Don't participate with them. Don't align with them in the practice. Remember, your life is to be different. It's to be holy. It's to be separated. Why shouldn't we participate with them? Well, we're called to be holy and the activities that they're pursuing lead to wrath. The activities we're pursuing lead to blessing because blessing follows obedience. Always. And so as he says this, it's not a command to never be around lost people. It's not a command for us to get a holy huddle here at Judson and circle the wagons and and lock the doors and be glad that we're saved and scared of the world. That's not what he's talking about at all. How, How could he have gone into the world and spread the message of the gospel if he was running from the world? We're to be in the world, not, thank you, in the world, not of the world, not partners with the world, not participants in the world. Think about it like this. You're not to be walking side by side with them like this. Your life is to be different. Guys, this is crucial right now. It's crucial for the church in every age, but I believe it is crucial for us right now. Because the world is literally tearing apart at the seams. And if we show them no difference, if we participate with them, we lose the ability to be the light. We're commanded to go, but we're commanded to be different. We're commanded to go to the hurting, go to the lost, to to go and and preach the message of the gospel. This isn't a, a, a prohibition against having a relationship with folks who aren't believers. That's silly. But my life should not be in parallel 
uh, kind of a syncretic motion with them. It shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't be synced up together. As you're around folks who don't know the Lord, you should be praying for them. You should be engaging them with the gospel. You should be pointing them to Christ at every chance that you have. Not just hiding that and walking along with them. Because we're not to walk in darkness, we're to walk in the light. Would you read the next verse? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. When we talk about light and darkness, we often think about it like this. is like, I'm in the light and I was in darkness. And, and what we mean by that oftentimes is when we were in darkness, we were darkened in our understanding. We were ignorant about things that were going on that should be evident to us from the Lord. We, we couldn't see them. And we often think about being in the light, much like you know, the, old, the old song, praise the Lord, I saw the light. As you think about the apostle Paul's life, that's exactly what happened to him. He's traveling the road to Damascus, going to pursue and persecute the church. And the Lord meets him there. The great light shines, blinds him, and he met the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was never the same, right? So when we talk about being in the light, that's, that's often what we mean. But that's not what he said. Did you check what he said right there? Re- read it again. It says, you were once darkness. Not you were in darkness. You were the darkness. Everywhere you went, you were filled up with darkness and you encouraged other people in darkness and you brought them into darkness because you were living in darkness. You were clouded in your judgment. You were in the darkness, but you, you relished that and you became that. It was who you were. It was your identity in Christ. I mean, I mean in, in, I'm sorry. It was not your identity in Christ. We're gonna get to that. It, it was your identity as being lost. You were in darkness. You were the darkness. And now he says, and now you are light. In the gospel of John chapter one, John says that Jesus came and that he was the life and that life was the light of men. It became the light of our lives. You remember this, I think, from from Matthew chapter five. We studied it so long ago, Matthew chapter five and, and verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So the change happens in the fact that we meet Jesus Christ and Jesus does something with us. His life becomes the light in our lives. It's like literally he sets us ablaze so that the world may see. And what he said was, I didn't set you ablaze so that you'd be hidden. I set you ablaze so that you would draw people, so that they would see you. As the world gets darker, the light shines farther. It shines brighter. It's a contrast. So he's saying to us as believers, I've done something in your life. I've made you a city set on a hill for Nashville, Tennessee, so that they can see you. And so they can see the difference in your life. And I want you to walk in the light. We've talked about what it means to walk in the light. We talked about walking means the practice of your faith, the consistent pursuing of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Letting what comes out of your mouth be consistent with who you are and the activities and the actions in which you live. And so as we practice it, it means we confirm the Lord Jesus Christ by the consistency of our walk, the pattern of our lives. So when Jesus says this, it gives us a key 
a clue. Verse 16 tells us to let the light shine before men so that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And you know, that's very different from the works of darkness, isn't it? Think about that with me for a minute. We talked about the works of darkness that are storing up wrath, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, foolish talk, obscene talk, coarse jesting, joking. Okay. It's funny, you know, people will oftentimes tell you these are good things, but you know what people don't tell you? They'll, they'll tell you why you should do those things, but they never tell you that that glorifies God. Glorifies them, they glory in it. They love it, they're proud of it. They want you to come alongside and be partners with them, but they're not pointing you to God like that. It doesn't work that way. They, they might point you to how good it is for them, how good it is for you, and how you'll be happy and, and you'll be fulfilled in these things, but they never tell you that it's pleasing to God. But Jesus says, the light that is in us should lead us to good works. Well, as we go back to Ephesians, it says as we live as children of light, we'll have the fruit of light, and that it consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. When God tells you to do something, it's good. Don't you love being around something that's just good anymore? Something that's just pure, wholesome, moral goodness. It's, it's just refreshing, isn't it? It's refreshing when you can watch it and not see an agenda. It's refreshing when you can be around someone and they're just good. It's refreshing when they talk to you and they speak goodness over you. It's refreshing when you are an employee and they are good towards you because of the fruit of God in their lives. It sounds an awful lot like, doesn't it? The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in Galatians. It sounds a lot like what Paul says in Philippians when he says, you're gonna bring forth the fruit of righteousness. In other words, what's coming out of your life is consistent with your walk with God. You remember the, the scripture that says, don't be fooled, God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. What you put into your life is what you're gonna get out of it. So if I walk as a partner in darkness, that's what I get. That's what comes out of it. But if I walk with believers in the light, it means that, that what comes out of my life is goodness. It's wholesome. It's righteousness. When I'm in righteousness, it means that I'm in right standing before the Lord. I'm doing what God says is right. Truth. Boy, wouldn't you love to have a conversation with somebody outside the walls of these church, this church about truth today? When I was uh, 15 or 16 was the first time I ever heard the term relative truth. You familiar with the term? We don't even really talk about it anymore uh, because we just say my truth. That's an impossibility. You can't live your truth and I live my truth. It doesn't work. There's only truth. It's not subjective. It can't be contextualized based on how we want it to be. How do we know the truth? Jesus said if we followed him, we'd know the truth and the truth would set us free.
So as we look at this, it's such a reminder to us that these things are changing in us as we walk with the Lord. Goodness should be a descriptive word that describes me. Righteousness should be mentioned about me. Truth should be mentioned about me. It should be mentioned about you. And when we do those things, those are the things that glorify our Father in heaven and draw people to the Lord. We can't capitulate to the culture and tell everybody, that's okay, you're okay, it's okay, it's okay. It's not, because it's not true. But as we walk in the Spirit, these things become evident. And these are the outcomes of a life lived in the light. And he kind of finishes this thought with something that is really encouraging to me, I think. Verse 10 says, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. If you're reading the King James Version of the Bible this morning, it says proving. Testing's a good word, proving's a good word because it means examine. It doesn't mean it's a blind taste test. Do you know what I mean? But sometimes we think about that like, so here's what we'll do, we'll blindfold me. It's not Coke and Pepsi. You know, you try both, that's, that's not what he means. When he says examine it, he's saying study it so that you can show yourself approved in that way. Study it to know it, you know? It's it's often like I think about how I loved the humanities when I was in college because oftentimes they asked open-ended questions where you were able in the examination to tell what you knew. That's a good thing. That's better than a true-false question from page 122 of a book you didn't read. You know what I mean? Harder that way. But to examine something means to study it, to apprehend it, to take hold of it. When he says testing it, proving it, to live it out in such a way that you begin to know what is pleasing to the Lord. Well, how do we know what's pleasing to God? It's important for us to know that. We, we know it not by blindly trying to figure it out and groping for it. We know it by looking at what God has revealed to us through his word. So when it says examine this, let, let this be a convicting moment for us all. When it says examine it, it, says doesn't, it doesn't say let your grandma examine it and try to tell you a couple things. It doesn't say let your mom or dad do it or your husband do it or your wife do it. You examine it, you know it, and then you'll be able to prove what's the pleasing will of God. We shouldn't be wandering around going, I, ew, I don't know if this is what God would want. I, I don't know. How would I know that? How would I do it? When you come to know Christ, God's given us his word and his word is good. It's pleasing. And what God says is good, we can trust is good and we do that. And what God says you should avoid because it's harmful to you, it's not because God's a killjoy, it's because he knows what's best. So when he says that to us, we say, well, I don't wanna do that either. I'm gonna stay away from that. God calls that sin. What begins to happen is we begin to examine these things and we prove what is pleasing to the Lord. It would be a shame for you to say, I've been a Christian for 10 years and I'm no better today than I was before. We start with the word. If you'll stand close to Jesus and read his word, here's what you'll discover. You'll know how to talk to people. You know how to treat people. You'll know what's good and what's right. You'll know what God approves and what he doesn't approve of. You'll see it. It's all right there. You won't have to ask me. It'll be there. 
God has given us his word, historically proven, archeologically proven. It's the greatest gift that we have today to know because we're not blindly groping anymore. There is the light. It was Jesus and it's recorded for us. So we do what's pleasing to God. I was reading this week about a story of a guy who had been converted a radical confirmation, I mean conversion rather, I should say it was a confirmation of faith for sure. But it was radical because he had worked in a factory his whole life and in that factory work had found a group of people that really weren't blessing his life. They'd leave after work and they were kind of living what we might describe as kind of like a party lifestyle. But his family would have said that he was wrecking their lives because he was spending all that he had on drinking. So the family was going without, they were destitute. When he came home, he was a tyrant in the home. But God radically reached down and saved him and changed his life. And so here's a, a new guy trying to figure it all out, right? And he doesn't know what to do. So he just starts reading the Bible. And he goes to work and man, the friends are doing exactly what we're talking about here. The coarse jesting, you know, the filthy talk, those kind of things. And he says, man... I don't think that I need to do that. I don't feel like I should be a part of that anymore. And so he, he starts bringing his Bible to work and sitting by himself at lunch. And his friends started making fun of him, you know, preacher calling him preacher. You know, I love it when you call me preacher, but it's not always a term of endearment if you use it for someone at work, I've understood. Uh, I'm not really sure why. Uh, but they were calling him preacher and different things like that and holy man, all this kind of stuff. And, and so one day they came over and said, come on and go out with us tonight. And he says, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. I've, I've, I've given that up. And they said, well, that Jesus you follow in there, he, he brought wine and made a big party at somebody's house. What do you say about that? And he said, well, I don't know. But when wine was in my house, I didn't have any furniture. But when Jesus came into my life, now we got furniture and food on the table because I'm not doing that. He could see the difference. It was a life changed. Can you see the difference? Do you know what it means to not be in partnership with folks? To not be walking side by side, participating in the things of darkness and just calling it good? Guys, we make a grave mistake today if we don't understand that our calling wasn't just so that Jesus would save us and we would spend eternity outside of hell. That's great. I mean, I, I'll be the first to admit that's number one on the top 10 list for me. So much more than that, isn't it? God wanted a people for himself. And so he has called the called out to be holy and righteous and to live in such a way that the world sees the difference. So walk in the light, practice the things that are in the light. Walk in such a way that we bring glory and honor to God the Father who is in heaven and make sure that as we do it, we're not participating in the deeds of darkness. We're, we're, we're repudiating those things and, and, and rebuking those things and saying that they're not for us and we're walking away from those things. We're walking in light. We have to be faithful to pursue these things. I don't know about you, but I'm fed up with empty arguments. I, I mean, I'm, I'm tired of it. And I can fall victim to it just like you can. Any of us can, can't we? But you know, I, I think about how of all the things that we know in this world, all the things that we talk about in this world, 
The truth of it is this week, some of us know way more about current events than we know about this. And we wonder why we're deceived. We wonder why we can't figure it out and we, we feel like we're stumbling around all the time. And, and it's because we, we haven't taken this seriously. To not be deceived means that we have to get near the truth. To not be deceived means that we have to live in the light. To not be deceived means that, that we make a commitment today to do what the scripture says, that when we wake up, the words of, of Christ are on our lips with our family as we, we eat lunch, as we walk on the path, as we go to bed at night. We're, we're, we're letting the word of Christ indwell us and we're speaking those things and speaking goodness and truth and righteousness instead of foolishness and, and stuff that doesn't matter. And I'm not saying that we're not having fun and that we're, we shouldn't be wise and understanding about current events. You should be. But as I've told you many times, if you start out there and try to come back here, you will never get it right. You've got to start here. And then you can go and understand what's out there. Then you can see it. Then you won't be swayed in between these two opinions. I love it when the prophet Elijah says, how long are you gonna waver between two opinions? If God is God, serve him. If Baal is God, Baal, you serve Baal. We live that way. We, we just pulled like that. But we shouldn't be. We are the light. And as the light, we have a responsibility to live before the Lord holy, called out, not in participating fellowship with the darkness. I want to say something to those of us in the room, particularly if you're younger in the room, school, teenager. You know, if your best friends aren't Christians, you need to check that. It reminds me of something that popped into my mind in the first service. And I just turned over to Psalms and read it for them. I'll read it for you and we'll be done. Psalm number one. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff. The wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. It's not a calling to be out of the world. It's a calling to live in the world. But if your fellowship is with darkness, you'll be led towards the darkness. Your best friends and parents, if you're not modeling this, this is wrong. Your best friends, the people you're doing life with, need to point your folks to Christ. Pushing them that way. Because the scripture says, we're happy when we don't walk in the advice of the wicked. If I just surround myself with wicked people, guess what they think about? Guess what they do all the time? Is it any wonder that people who aren't believers talk like people who aren't believers? Is it any wonder they give advice like people who are non-believing? Then it says that we stand in the pathway with sinners, hanging out. And finally we sit in the company of mine. We just get comfortable. For us as believers, we're to walk in the light as he is in the light. 
Let that light shine in the darkness and overtake the darkness, pointing people to Christ. Let us not be in fellowship with the darkness today. And if you are, my prayer for you today is that you would walk away from it, repent of it, and be done with it. As a believer, what fellowship does darkness have with light and light with darkness? There's none. Let us be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Would you pray with me? Father, our prayer today is that we would walk in the light truly as you are in the light. And Lord, that, that we would know what the truth is. Father, I pray for this church that it would hunger and thirst after righteousness, that it would examine your ways and find the things that please you, Lord, to know what your word says. Lord, let us not be so caught up in the world around us that we miss what your word says about it. And Father, let us not be deceived into pursuing riches or greed. Or Lord, we know that's idolatry and we don't want any part of that. Father, let us not be found to be impure or, or sexually immoral. Let us not be found to have the words of unrighteousness on our lips, Lord, but to speak the words of truth, to speak truth in love be righteous and be filled with goodness. And we thank you today that you have brought us out of darkness and that we are the light. Let us be a city set on a hill in a city that is crumbling around us, Lord. And let us call men and women and boys and girls to salvation so that they may know the freedom that comes from walking in Christ. Lord, you are good. And we declare your goodness today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.